informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and welcome to AOA. Thanks for making us a part of your day. Today is going to be a fun show. We're in partnership with our friends over at DTN. Their DTN Ag Summit is virtual this year, and it's happening now. Joining us today will be some of the presenters and some of the sponsors from that virtual event this year, including our regular meteorologist, John Baranek from DTN. We're going to talk with Todd Holtman and Shaylee Stewart about the market, and Steve Sukup of Sukup Manufacturing will join us to round out out the show. Before we get to all of that, however, we do have to have an update from Friday. USDA released their December WASDE report, the World Agricultural Supply and Demands report. Now, the December report, as we spoke about with Arlen Suderman last week, not much of a market mover. U.S. production does not change at all in this report, and that was the case here in this December. We did see some interesting moves, however. One thing USDA did do is they reduced U.S. corn exports by 75 million bushels. The trade had been thinking that number might be closer to 50, so this could prove to be a little more bearish as the week goes on. We'll be watching this trade as it continues to develop. But let's bring our focus back to that DTN Ag Summit happening now. You can find out more at DTNPF.com. You can still get registered. There is still another day. It is happening both Monday and Tuesday, and then there will be summaries available at DTNPF.com as the weeks go on. The DTN Ag Summit happening virtually this year, and we're excited to speak to the premier sponsor of that event. It's Growmark, and joining us from Growmark is Heather Thompson. She's the Director of Innovation over there. Heather, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Mike. Talk to me a little bit about why Growmark partnered on an event like this. What's the value in it for your organization to get this information out there to growers? Yeah, we are really proud to partner with DTN on an event such as this one. And, you know, we think that uh, progressive growers, young and, and future growers, they're really the future of our industry. And it's so important to make sure uh, that those um, those producers have access to the latest technology and information so that they can continue to grow their operations. And, and Growmark and our FS member cooperatives uh, really want to be a partner with them as, as they continue to build the future. Director of Innovation, that's not a, a position I see very often. What does it mean in the context of Growmark? What do you do day to day? Sure, great question. Uh, so my role has been in existence for Growmark for about a year now, and I really serve in two primary capacities. The first is to work with our business unit leaders, so our crop nutrients and crop protection and energy leaders, to think about the challenges uh, that we face in the industry today and the opportunities to innovate around those challenges to bring novel products and technologies forward that our growers and customers need. And so I'm scanning uh, the startup and the, and the innovation landscape for products and solutions that we can bring inside um, and, and uh, either implement ourselves or bring forward to uh, those progressive customers and growers. The other half of my role is serving as the liaison to Growmark's Venture Capital Fund. So about a year ago, we launched Cooperative Ventures, which is a fund investing in early-stage startups in crop production, supply chain, sustainability, and farmer business enablement uh, tools and technologies. And that's a joint venture with CHS, another uh, large agricultural supply cooperative. And Heather, there has been a lot of changes in that particular category. Can you talk a little bit about what you're excited for as you look ahead to 2023? Yeah, absolutely. We have seen just an amazing influx of uh, new technologies and startups that are innovating in, in the ag space, and it's really exciting to be a part of that. So, um, you know, one area that we've seen a lot of uh, development is in the field of autonomy and automation. So, you know, in agriculture, I'm not telling anybody, uh, you know, anything they don't already know. Labor is a huge challenge for us, finding people to do the work in a very labor-intensive space. And so we think autonomy is going to be an important component to helping not only um, our ag retail locations, but also farmers get the work done. So we were excited to make our first investment uh, from Cooperative Ventures in an autonomy company uh, called Sabanto, 
which is working to uh, retrofit existing tractors with autonomous capabilities uh, to tackle that labor challenge. We think that's going to provide some really exciting opportunities in 2023 and beyond. Oh, boy, I bet you are exactly correct. I know that labor is one of those issues under discussion today at the DTN Ag Summit. Folks, if you didn't have a chance to make it to the summit, you'll be able to read up on summaries of the event at DTNPF.com as those get put up. You mentioned that first investment in Sabanto. What else is coming here down the line? Absolutely, yeah. So we expect over the life of the fund to invest in probably 10 to 12 startup companies. And um, so we're interested in companies not only in the technology and autonomy space like Sabanto, but also in crop production, whether that be for, you know, novel products um, or uh, genetics, traits, um, inputs, et cetera, um, but also products and technologies that help farmers capitalize on sustainability um, and regenerative farming practices. Um, and then also tools and technologies that help Growmark um, and CHS uh, improve our own supply chain, especially in that last mile as we deliver products to the farm. You know, that is a great point. You talk about the challenges and the opportunities that the business units face at Growmark and how you're working to coordinate those. Heather, supply chain, my goodness, what a challenge over this past year. Has that led to some innovations at Growmark and how you get stuff from one place to the next? It has, yeah. You know, we're we're not only looking at better ways to get products from A to B, whether that be optimizing our routes and using technologies to help us identify the best the best route plan, um, the best way to you know load a truck, but also trying to use um, machine learning and artificial intelligence to ingest historic data uh, to make sure that we we have the best possible strategy around inventory management and placement, so that we can hopefully. Um, you know, navigate some of those supply challenges uh, in advance by knowing where we need products to be placed and giving ourselves a little bit more um, head start and getting the product where it needs to be. Like that's the message here from Growmark is tackling these challenges head on, Heather, and it's got to be exciting to look ahead to the future with that mindset coming behind you. It is. It's absolutely a proactive approach to identifying where we might have challenges, but looking at how we can turn those challenges into opportunities um, by by looking at the latest technologies and really innovating uh, to find solutions that are beneficial for you know for tomorrow's growers as well as for the the FS and and Growmark cooperatives of tomorrow. Heather, for listeners we've got out there who are curious about the work that Growmark is up to that maybe is outside the farm gate, is there a place we can go to learn about the different aspects of innovation you're pioneering there at the at the co-op? Absolutely, yeah. Definitely check out our social media channels um, under uh, the Growmark name, but also you can learn more about our venture capital fund at cooperativeventuresllc.com. Fantastic, folks. We have been talking with Heather Thompson, the Director of Innovation over at Growmark. And Heather, thank you so much for joining us today. And thanks to Growmark for being a partner on the DTN Ag Summit. It's our pleasure, Mike. Thanks. And folks, stick around. We'll have more AOA coming up right after this. On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for the monthly grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. Joining us today, we're going to be talking with Brian Thalman. He's the Corn Board Liaison for the Market Development Action Team. And we'll also be speaking with Denny Vinacotter, the Market Development Action Team's Vice Chairman. Denny, when we think about that Market Development Action Team, what is it that they do over there at NCGA? We are just trying to look for that next thing to grind more bushels of corn feed fuel fiber we're just trying to expand bring more value for every bushel of corn that's grown in the united states back to the farmer brian what do you see here going forward we're really excited to continue our partnership we've been broadcasting in the past live from the national cattlemen uh, beef association convention we're also going to be live at commodity classic this year in orlando this monthly grind recap is sponsored by the national corn growers association be sure to tune in the first wednesday of every month for the monthly grind here on aoa 
the average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, folks, to AOA. Thanks for joining us today. And if you're just now tuning in, today's show, we are looking at an event that is going on right now. It's the DTN Ag Summit happening virtually this year. You can learn more at DTNPF.com. And one of the presenters jumping up on stage tomorrow is our friend John Baranek of DTN Weather. John, thanks for joining us today. Hey, you know, it's great to talk with you, Mike. So tomorrow you're going to be presenting on the main stage here for the DTN Virtual Ag Summit this year. And obviously, I don't want you to give away your whole program. But John, give us a tease. What are you going to be talking about tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, the big driver that's been uh, in place for a while now has been La Nina. I mean, you and I have been talking about it constantly. We've been in that pattern for quite some time, but thankfully, it looks like it's going away. Uh, but, you know, that leaves a lot of question marks because, you know, what drives weather then? If La Nina is not in control, what what does? What are we going to see through the uh, 2023 growing season? What kind of patterns are we going to see? Uh, do we have some optimism in some areas that uh, were kind of dry the last couple of years under La Nina? Uh, do things stay, you know, uh, unfortunately poor conditions or or do we have a mix in between? So that's what I'll be talking about tomorrow. So, John, for those of us who aren't meteorologists, but we listen to it, we track weather, it impacts our life every single day, we're not all plugged in on those big picture things. And now La Nina, you mentioned we've been talking about now for three plus years here in this country. We've kind of forgotten what are the other major factors or systems that can move weather. So as La Nina fades away, what else could pop up to uh, to help shape weather around the world? Yeah, you know, what's interesting is that uh, the... El Nino, La Nina factor is is the largest driver of weather in the U.S. So as we get you know away from La Nina, it's not like it's it's not going to be driving the weather anymore. It's just going to be a different flavor of it. Um, we'll be getting into a neutral um, uh, pattern where it's neither warm nor cold in the uh, Pacific Ocean for a while there, but uh, everything is trending towards an El Nino for next summer and uh, and fall. So. Uh, it's still going to be around. It's still going to be impacting us. When it's in that neutral state, though, it has less of an impact, um, obviously, on our weather. And some of those other smaller things are are more in play. So things like snow cover, honestly, um, cloud cover, soil moisture, uh, drought, other other big weather picture things are are actually thunderstorms that move around the equator. We don't talk about them too much. We're only really starting to learn kind of their influence over the last few decades, and um, uh, they actually that 
there's usually a, a consistent pattern of, of a group of thunderstorms moving along the equator. And um, when it gets into different spots, it, it kind of moves the jet stream in, in particular ways. And we're just kind of learning about that. But, um, you know, that's that one there. Uh, we call that the Madden-Julian oscillation. And uh, you probably will never hear that <laughs> name again. But if you do, that's where it's coming from. And uh, that, that one, I think, is going to have a, a bigger influence on our weather going forward then. Fascinating. John, so that's potentially coming. This move back towards neutral, potentially, as you look out longer term, an El Nino event could pop up on the radar. But in the meantime, we've still got winter to get through. And it sounds to me, John, like winter is going to be hitting a lot of places in the country this week. Can you tell us about this uh, winter storm event that's moving across? Oh, boy, Mike, you, it, you're you're absolutely right here. We got a system out in the Rockies here today, but it's going to move out uh, into the plains tonight. And uh, as it does so, it's got access to a lot of moisture there. The Gulf of Mexico has been basically wide open uh, all the way through the weekend. We've been seeing uh, temperatures rising, uh, humidity levels rising. You know, that's kind of a relative term for this time of year. But, you know, it's, it's a lot of moisture for this storm system to work with. Uh, and so we're going to see widespread precipitation across the plains and eastward with this system. Uh, unfortunately, it's cold enough up in the northern plains and in the Minnesota where a lot of this is going to fall as snow. You know, amounts still to be determined, but it's it's going to be heavy and the winds blowing around with it, too, are going to create blizzard conditions. So uh, it's going to be a wild event up there in the northern plains on the wintry side. Farther south, though, uh, as the cold front moves across the eastern plains and then across the south as well, we're expecting some severe weather with it. So, um, uh you know, a lot of thunderstorms at least, but, you know, winds, maybe some tornadoes moving through. I would not be surprised to see that in the least. Um, outside of, you know, this, the, the absolute severe weather, uh, we should see widespread rainfall across the, the majority of the country. And, you know, we've been in drought. We've been talking about drought for God knows how long at this point. Um, but, you know, we should see some easement in a lot of uh, drought areas with the storm system, uh, you know, Precipitation amounts, if you add it up uh, kind of across the country here, um, if, and if you melt down the snow, it's about one to maybe two inches across the northern half of the country and potentially two to three across the southern half. So it's a, it's going to be a really good system here uh, to, to ease those drought concerns. The only problem is, is that the, the cold front that comes off the Rockies, it's going to be dry until it hits kind of the, the central part of the plains there from about Nebraska southward. So the Western Plains, which have been in drought, and we've been talking about that again too, um, are not going to get much out of it, unfortunately. So they, they'll they be the ones missing out. They'll be wondering what's going on, what's what big storm system. Um, they, they instead will be dealing with all the winds behind the, the, the front moving through. So um, that was the other thing I didn't even mention was the wind speeds going on around it. So uh, winds kicking up, heavy snow across the north with blizzard conditions, severe weather across the south, heavy rain. It's a big storm. It is a big storm. John, when you've got that much moisture in the air and you've got this much cold air pushing down from the north, is there the opportunity or is there the risk of an ice event anywhere that you're keeping an eye on? There is, you know, when it does transition uh, from the south where it's rain to uh, snow in the north, there is a risk of that. Uh, luckily for this, I don't think we have as much of an issue. Usually what has to happen is we have to have overrunning of this warm air over colder air, and we just don't get that with this system. All right. Well, that's good news there. Hopefully that uh, that threat remains reduced as the storm makes its way across the country. Folks in the Northern Plains, be alert tonight through Wednesday, and folks in the South, stay safe if those severe weather events move your direction. John, I want to turn our focus down to South America. Last Monday when we talked, you mentioned that Argentina was experiencing a, a severe heat wave, maybe a record heat wave and i'm wondering has that materialized and is it still in place it sure has so um it uh over the the, the course of last week uh temperatures were routinely up near or over 100 degrees um i don't think i saw an uh, entire an entire growing region there in uh in argentina that saw a high temperature below 90 degrees the entire week so uh it was absolutely incredible um there were some isolated showers that have that moved through in in parts, but it was pretty weak. Um, so they the, the drought situation that they've had down there just continues to grow. Now all that is coming to a head here uh, on Monday. Uh, Sunday was pretty much the the last day of the heat wave. Uh, cold fronts moving now through the country and 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 wiping down some of those uh, extremely high temperatures. But I mean they're still in the you know 
mid to upper 80s in a lot of areas uh, for for highs throughout the course of the week. So it's still it's still hot, just not extremely hot like it has been. All right, John, looking up north into Brazil, that crop continues to develop and I understand they've been getting enough moisture. Can you give us an update more broadly? How does that country's uh, crop development look so far? I would say for the most part, that's correct. The wet season in central Brazil started on time, but was pretty weak. Uh, last week, we saw some much better rainfall um, and that continues here this week as well. Uh, so they're their developing crop there, especially their soybean crop, is 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 in, in pretty good shape. Farther south, especially that far southern state of Rio Grande de Sul, it's a little bit more uh, on the same conditions of Argentina, where they've they haven't had as much heat, but it's been a lot drier there um, than uh, points farther north. So we're a little bit concerned about that state there. I mean, that kind of accounts for a roughly 10-15% of total corn and soybean production in brazil so it's a good a significant chunk but uh yeah the rest of the country is actually in pretty good shape john looking out into the summer of course brazil likes to plant that safrina corn crop after those soybeans come off on a number of acres is the transition back to neutral going to benefit that second crop in that country yeah uh i i'm not exactly sure um you know la nina even if it goes away, the remnants of it kind of linger for a little while after it, several weeks or maybe even a couple of months. So that actually goes through a good portion of the Safrina corn season. So we're expecting La Nina to kind of fade away and head to neutral conditions in um, maybe late January or early February. That's when they're planting uh, their Safrina corn crop. Um, but if the, the effects linger on there, um, for another month or two afterwards, that's most of the season. So uh, we're still concerned about the Safrina corn, uh, especially uh, across the southern portions of Brazil. All right, lots of things to watch in this weather year ahead. John Baranek, DTN Weather, will be outlining those at the DTN Ag Summit. It's virtual. You can still get registered. Go to dtn.com slash ag summit. John Baranek, DTN Weather, Ag Meteorologist. Thanks for joining us this week. Always enjoy your thoughts on the weather. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. Always good to talk to you, too. And folks, stick around. We'll have more AOA coming up right after this. every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Once we get a look at what's going on in the grain and livestock trade on this Monday to start the new week, got a little bit of strength in the wheat markets led by Chicago and KC wheat with corn up moderately while this soy complex is under heavy pressure with better than anticipated rains over the weekend in parts of Argentina. Brazil's growing regions also saw some rains fall there and that overall pattern that was better than anticipated is really weighing on the soybean complex here today we see a pretty wide spread between bean meal and bean oil but some of that is being unwound here as we work into the new week here well we see as also the backdrop for this week's commodity market going to be the federal reserve which will release its updated policy statement on wednesday afternoon so that is something to keep an eye on we're watching demand we got the WASDI report for december out of the way with very little changes that soybean demand really drying up as prices approach 
approached $15 last week, though. So now we'll see how far Chinese buyers will allow them to fall before returning. They still have some gaps to fill ahead of the Brazilian harvest, but then demand should decline notably beyond that. Still watching to see if we can get uh, corn demand picked up or not. That is going to be a big thing to keep an eye on as well. In the livestock trade, fairly quiet start to the week with mixed activity there. Cattle futures trying to find a little bit of positive strength through Monday's session with the hog market moderately lower. Crude oil up about $2 a barrel after hitting $70, the lowest level in quite some time last week with the stock market up just quietly here as we work through the session. We see corn trade four to five higher for the most part with, again, Chicago KC wheat leading us to the upside up around 10 to 15 with soybeans down around 20 cents and heavy pressure in bean meal. Bean oil is a little bit mixed now. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92 and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100 and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90 and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110 and I had a stroke and I'm 33 so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, everyone, to AOA. Of course, happening on Monday, December 12th, right now. In fact, for a lot of folks listening to us live, the DTN Ag Summit is underway, and it's virtual this year. Fantastic lineup of speakers, all presenting both Monday and Tuesday. And in this next panel, we're going to talk about what is coming in tomorrow's edition of the DTN Ag Summit. We will get the Outlook session. So we're going to get a little tease of that right now. Joining me is Todd Holtman. He's the DTN lead analyst. Todd, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. Pleasure to be here. And we also have Shaylee Stewart. Shaylee is the DTN livestock analyst. Shaylee, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks, Mike. It's my pleasure. Let's talk, Todd. What are you going to be presenting about tomorrow? What's the topic of your presentation for the Outlook seminar? Well, you know, overall, Mike, we're we're looking at very uh, historically high prices that we're enjoying right now, but we're a little nervous about how long they might last. So we'll be talking about that. There's a lot of cross currents and contradictions in the market. There's going to be a lot to sort out. Oh, boy, that is perhaps the understatement of the year, Todd, given the <laughs> movements we've seen this past year. I'm curious, as you look out here in the immediate short-term future, looking out to the end of December, how do you think U.S. grain exports are going to fare? You know, overall, uh, soybeans are fairly active, but uh, corn and wheat are disappointing. I don't think that's going to change through the end of the year. Brazil still uh, got the better price when it comes to corn. That's probably going to take a month or two before we get more in the swing there. So much going on in the global scene that impact the commodity markets. We're seeing it in the grains. We're also seeing it have an impact in the livestock markets. And Shaylee, you'll be giving the outlook for the livestock presentation on Tuesday at the Ag Summit. What are you talking about? What's your outlook say as you look out to the future? You know, Mike, we're really optimistic for 2023. That doesn't mean that we're not going to have challenges and hurdles to bypass. But really, the main focus for the livestock sector in 2023 is going to be profitability because we expect prices to be higher, but we also expect inputs to be higher. So it really comes down to the factor of whether or not prices will outpace inputs and how that will affect profitability. So that is my main focus and main concern entering 2023 is what is the profitability margin going to be for producers all throughout the marketplace? 
But the key theme is profitability. Shaley, that is good news for cattle producers, pork producers who have been buffeted by years of really challenging markets here ever since that Holcomb plant down in Kansas. And that profitability, Todd, of course, they're going to be relying on feed grain prices. You mentioned these high grain prices. They are certainly good news for grain growers, troubling for those end users. How are you hearing folks in the market grapple with these high grain prices if they're an end user? You know, it's very interesting. We've got two totally different worlds in the market this year. If I'm on the Western Corn Belt side, uh, it was a very tough year hit by drought and uh, those grain prices and cash bids are much higher. I was just at the Peoria Farm Show last week and those guys are just tickled. They had record yields this year. Talked to a 75 year old that had his best corn and soybean crops ever. So it's just a much uh, a different scenario. It is, Todd, and we are seeing that difference play out in basis across this country, aren't we? Uh, yeah, we are overall. There has been some concern about possible softening of basis in the West, but overall, that national basis, Mike, is still the strongest in over 20 years for both corn and soybeans. That, that tells me commercials have uh, some kind of demand for this that maybe the market's not appreciating right now. All right. And that drought out west that shrunk that corn crop out west also shrunk pasture conditions. Shaley, you mentioned that profitability we're going to see in 2023. Is that being built on uh, really a smaller herd size as you look out to this next year? It's funny that you bring that talking point into our conversation today, because I think that's really the focus of so many cattlemen. You know, we sit with the second fewest beef cows in the United States that we've had in the last 50 years and with the second fewest beef replacement heifers that we've had as as well in the last 50 years. And so as we look to 2023, like you said, there's so much opportunity in the market. It. But if this drought continues, if it lingers, there is still, you know, immense concerns about what input prices will be, what feed prices will be. And so that is something that they're going to have to navigate and manage in 2023 as well. Shaley, you made a great point. A lot of cattle producers, cattle feeders are looking out to this smaller number forecast. They're going, all right, things should be at our backs here in 2023. But of course, there's also that import beef market. Do you see imported beef being a bigger issue here as you look out to 23 or perhaps 24? Absolutely, because as we've known, the beef cow herd in Mexico has been growing. And as we look at smaller supplies here in the U.S. domestically and with smaller supplies in Canada than what they've had in years past, we have to know that our neighbors to the south are going to be looking and they're going to be poised and ready for the opportunity to import more product here into the United States. And really, we've already seen that in 2022 taking um, position in the marketplace. And so as we look to 2023, I expect that that'll increase and speed up even more exp exponentially than what we've seen this year. Oh boy, that is one of those uh, dark clouds that overhangs an otherwise bright landscape, but so much of that is dependent on currency valuations. Todd, I know that the ag industry has had to pay a lot more attention to the value of the dollar here over this past year, and it has been, well, pretty elevated. What do you expect going forward? Are we going to get some relief from the strength of this U.S. dollar? You know, Mike, I, I just don't see any significant long-term relief in the dollar anytime soon. We still uh, even though we've had uh, energy prices come down, inflation is still a concern. I don't think the Fed is coming down on the interest rate anytime soon. They might slow the rate of increase, but that still supports a higher dollar. Now, I should point out that that really hurts the wheat market the most. Our coin and, corn and soybean currencies uh, uh, compete with Brazil, and in that regard, our U.S. dollar and Brazil's real has been uh, fairly even. What is it about the wheat market that makes the value of the dollar so important? Well, you know, that U.S. dollar index, it's mostly a basket of European currencies. And that's really where we get a lot of export competition is from Europe. And that's true again this year, along with Russia, uh, of course. But uh, so it, in the wheat market, that U.S. dollar index does play a very important part. Looking out to next year, do you think biofuels are going to continue to be a compelling part for, uh, for farmers looking to make their marketing arrangements? Yeah, you know, I have to say, in spite of the recent disappointment from the RF RFS numbers that came out from EPA last week, I think there's still a very strong, compelling case for more soybean oil being used for biodiesel. Our, our diesel supplies are still down significantly from a year ago. We need that soybean oil to stretch those supplies. On the ethanol, I was uh, quite bullish and confident until roughly a week or so ago. And now I'm starting to see signs of softening demand in gasoline. So that's a bit of a concern heading into winter. 
This is, Todd, I imagine the time we expect that reduction in gasoline usage seasonally, though? Well, uh, that's true. But even compared to where a year, we were a year ago at this time, we're seeing a softer demand. So I, that is a bit of a concern. We've also seen the price of ethanol just hit a new nine-month low lately, and that's never good news to see. Shaley, looking at the beef market in particular, we need consumers to have a lot of dollars to go and pay that retail price. What have you been seeing lately for choice and wholesale box beef, uh, choice and select box beef values? Are they coming down at all? You know, it's funny that you bring that up because that was my main focus in our comments today. And we've seen the choice cut just simply looking for a bottom in this marketplace and it hasn't found one yet. And even though that's pressures in the market today and it feels somewhat emotional, we need to understand that that is very seasonal for December. And we expect that choice cut to find a low in December before rallying into January like it typically does. And so honestly, it's more of a seasonal trend. It's not a a reaction necessarily to our economy or the inflation. It is just seasonal and that's how our market works. It's just how consumers behave. Sometimes it's nice to see they, their behavior hasn't changed, even in this kind of volatility. And Todd, any other major events that the ag commodities specifically are going to be watching for news? Well, uh, you know, we've already turned our attention to South American weather and we're starting to see a little of excitement about a possible drought in Argentina. But of course, the big price for corn and soybeans this year could come from Brazil, and that's something we're going to keep very close attention to. That is a great point. That Safrina corn crop is going to have a lot of resonance this year. Todd, what are we thinking about that crop, or is it still too early? I'm not sure how Brazilians plan that second crop. Yeah, you know, it's really too early, but I will say the soybean crop got in on time, so that should help the Safrina crop get in on time. Uh, that Safrina crop always kind of toys with the dry season in Brazil, so it's a bit iffy and probably too early to really be confident about any outlook there. But uh, so far, the soybean crop is off to a good start. It's off to a good start. And Todd, the Brazilians have been fairly adept at moving lots of tonnage this year. Do you think their <laughs> transportation system is going to be able to keep up through their marketing season? You know, it, overall, it, it seems like every year we have annual truck strikes at harvest time. But, you know, the bottom line is they tend to get their beans from A to B and they seem to get it out to port uh, where they need to. So I, I'm confident that'll probably happen again this year. All right. We've always got those global competitors nipping at our heels. But, Todd, it sounds like you're optimistic for growers here as they look ahead to 2023. I am overall, uh, yes, absolutely. I'm a little concerned about uh, some of the recent trends and the, the sell-offs in corn and wheat, but overall, uh, as we get into spring and early summer of 2023, I still think there's a very strong case for bids higher than we're seeing today. That's good news for producers' ears. And Shaley Stewart, DTN Livestock Analyst, uh, sounds like you're optimistic for next year as well. I am too. I take the position very similar to Todd's. There's so much opportunity that lingers in the 2023 market. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be challenges, hurdles and headwinds to navigate, but that still that still does leave the opportunity for more um, profitability to be had. Fantastic, folks. Thank you so much. We've been talking today with Shaley Stewart, DTN Livestock Analyst, and Todd Holtman, DTN Lead Analyst. There is still time to get registered for the DTN Ag Summit to hear their Outlook presentations. Just head to dtn.com slash ag summit. And if you've missed the presentations, you want to follow up, just check dtnpf.com, and they'll be bringing those summaries out as the weeks go on. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back with more AOA in just a second. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility 
independence changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference bite by bite. On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for the monthly grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. Joining us today, we're going to be talking with Brian Thalman. He's the Corn Board Liaison for the Market Development Action Team. And we'll also be speaking with Denny Venacotter, the Market Development Action Team's Vice Chairman. Denny, when we think about that Market Development Action Team, what is it that they do over there at NCGA? We are just trying to look for that next thing to grind more bushels of corn feed fuel fiber we're just trying to expand bring more value for every bushel of corn that's grown in the united states back to the farmer brian what do you see here going forward we're really excited to continue our partnership we've been broadcasting in the past live from the national cattlemen uh, beef association convention we're also going to be live at commodity classic this year in orlando this monthly grind recap is sponsored by the national corn growers association be sure to tune in the first wednesday of every month for the monthly grind here on aoa I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with Geeks On Site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. information farmers and ranchers need to know AOA now back to Mike Pearson well folks welcome back to AOA today of course we are highlighting the DTN Ag Summit happening virtually this year you can find it online check out dtn.com slash ag summit for more information and we're talking with some of the sponsors one of the key partners in helping this event come to fruition was Sukup Manufacturing and joining us now is President and CEO Steve Sukup and Steve thanks for joining us today Oh, absolutely, Mike. Uh, appreciate the opportunity. 
You know, the theme this year for the DTN Ag Summit is Conquer the Chaos. And Steve, what is it about the DTN Summit that made you want to be a partner with them? Well, with D DTN Summit, uh, they've always targeted the right uh, customers. They're the, the same ones after the progressives out there that really go after new ideas. Steve, let's talk a little bit about the grain storage and handling business. It's been a volatile couple of years. Steel prices have been all over the place. Supply lines have been stretched. How has Sukup made it through the past couple of years? Well, we've had good people tackling every one of those areas. Uh, the steel uh, issue, it ha the pricing has uh, stabilized. It's one that Sukup Manufacturing, we've always purchased only uh, steel from the United States. And so we sort of, you know, rode the pricing up and down with our uh, U.S. Uh, steel mills, but uh, we work closely with, with them. Uh, we have got where we feel some uh, pricings back uh, stabilized, where we can give out some uh, uh, lead times on orders uh, longer than what had uh, previously been been. On a few of the other uh, supply chains, uh, generally we've always been strong on inventory. I mean, so, sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes not. But for the last couple of years, uh, our uh, strong inventory that we've maintained is helped through. It goes back to we want to pick good suppliers to be teamed up with, and uh, uh, they valued our relationship, and we valued theirs. And that's what it comes back to, that teamwork, that effort of working together. And Steve, of course, Sookup Manufacturing, based right there in rural Iowa, in Sheffield, Iowa. How has uh, how has hiring been? Have you guys encountered the same labor, labor challenges that we're hearing from folks throughout the industry? Uh, the past two years had really been tight, and so some of the things we realized was that, okay, we were going to have to sort of stretch our footprint out a little bit. It really didn't take that much to do. Uh, we went uh, 12 miles uh, south to Hampton. Uh, we've got uh, 100,000 square feet of uh, new manufacturing down there, partly from a company that we had uh, uh, purchased, uh, but we were able to bring on uh, some different areas of employment. Uh, we've had a facility up in Manly. It was uh, our steel storage area, but we doubled the size of it. And so also got us, uh, you know, 40 miles away, but it got us into a new employment uh, opportunities uh, uh, north there, third one we're working on. And then uh, we had noticed in the last uh, four months that employment in general, there's been more applications. And so we've you know, been able been able to be on the lookout and uh, bring on some more talented people to Suka Manufacturing. That's fantastic. Glad to hear that labor force is transitioning your way, opening up some more opportunities there on the factory floor. And I'm wondering, those factory floors, you mentioned the expansions that you're seeing, Steve, what's going to be new coming from Suka up here in the next couple of years? Well, the ones that uh, we're, you know, still, uh, we've made the world's largest grain bin. And uh, so we're, we're hoping that we get a opportunity or more there the first of all the ethanol industry you know supplying energy uh, homegrown energy to the u.s is uh, i think critical to the economy and uh, the ethanol plants uh, you know have been uh, doing well and uh, energy prices is as low as possible uh with them and uh, so we we think uh, things are positive that way and one of the uh, ethanol plants have said that a uh, million men that they put up, they paid for in 12 months. And that's what storage and opportunity uh, for our customers is all about. Given the volatility that we've seen right. in the grain market, given the, the marketing opportunities that are out there for growers now, Steve, how does demand look for 2023 and beyond? Are you seeing a lot of farmer interest in grain storage on the farm? Oh, uh, we really have. So it's it's been a nice uh, start into 2023. Uh, it was a little bit of a slow start. But uh, over the last couple of weeks, it's really uh, picked up uh, uh, customers, you know, had a nice, uh, nice year with our uh, grain prices for corn and soybeans. Uh, they're looking at doing uh, some projects, uh, uh, trying to wrap them up before the end of the year for uh, maybe some uh, tax considerations. Uh, but also knowing, uh, again, that, you know, the storage and the drying is areas that they really can add to their profitability. And so they're willing to uh, invest in their uh, sites again. The all plants. Uh, there's times I think in the end of August, early September, they were paying over a dollar above basis in order to get grain on those days. And so our customers that had the loadouts, new facilities, could deliver that. 
That is incredible. The technology in the grain handling area continues to advance, continues to improve. We're able to handle this stuff with more care than ever before, Steve. It's very exciting to be in this industry. As you look out to 2023 and beyond, are you optimistic for the future of agriculture here in America? Yes, and uh, some of the areas, I mean, we're taking a look at the, you know, there's been some new uh, credits for energy efficiencies and our new dryers. They are, we keep improving them uh, every year to be more energy efficient. They're going to be able to apply for some of those uh, grant programs uh, uh, to lower the, you know, the fuel and gallon usage. So we've really had some nice uh, successes there in documentation. So our new dryers are going to really be a, a focus uh, uh, for us, and uh, we're looking that we can increase our production also. Steve, for those listeners out there looking at making some changes to their grain handling and storage situation next year, where can they go for it? more information about Sukka? Well, Sukkum, uh, a lot of different areas where it's with fires or the uh, farm storage, uh, commercial bins, the material handling, the bucket elevators, uh, conveyors that we are able to take care of, or our traditional grain handling of uh, uh, floors and power sweeps and uh, centrifugal fans. Folks, we've been talking with Steve Sukup, president and CEO of Sukup Manufacturing, about their work heading out to this next year and their partnership on the DTN Ag Summit. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. All right. It's a pleasure to join you. And folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA today. Remember, if you missed the DTN Ag Summit, you can keep up with the summaries of the different events at DTNPF.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk more tomorrow here on AOA. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council.